Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Good afternoon. Welcome to the show on this stunning Melbourne day and a very significant day here in Melbourne. And let's be honest, Ron Barassi is a name that uh, is known right around the country. So just going to change it up a little bit today. No midday madness. We're going to spend this first hour just bringing you uh, some of the, the best bits from Ron Barassi State Memorial, which is still going at the MCG, I can just see our very own Gary Lyon has uh, stepped up on the stage to, to pay tribute. Uh, probably another one from the Melbourne Footy Club. Obviously, there's Carlton, North Melbourne, Sydney, his family. There's so many people that want to pay tribute uh, to Ron Barassi. So in this first little bit, we're going to bring you uh, his son, Ron Barassi third, And then a nice little bit of uh, an interview, Eddie Maguire speaking to two of the absolute icons of the sport that uh, coached and played against Ron Barassi in Kevin Sheedy and Lee Matthews. So after one o'clock, we'll get your reactions to what you've heard, maybe some of your favourite memories of Ron Barassi. But uh, let's start off by hearing from Ron's son, Ron Barassi III. On behalf of Dad's wife, Cheryl, my brother and sister, Richard and Sue, Dad's grandchildren, Natalia and Cassian, and Dad long, Dad's longtime manager, Rosemary, I would like to express our extreme gratitude for the support and kindness that all of you have shown during this sad time. It has truly been of great help. Thank you. My heart and soul are definitely with Melbourne now, but it wasn't always so. As a toddler in the 60s, I barracked for Melbourne. In the late 60s, I was a Carlton fan through and through. In the 70s, when Dad went to North, it took a year, but I eventually turned. In the 80s, I was barracking for Melbourne again. In the 90s, my allegiances moved North interstate and I became a Sydney fan. Four teams in four decades, some loyal supporter I was. (laughs) Though upon reflection, I was never a single club person belonging to their tribe. My tribe was me, my brother and sister and mum. The chief was dad, and he just happened to be a footy legend. Wherever the chief went, our little tribe followed. All these clubs, all these premierships and all that time I was really barracking for Dad. Footy was personal at a depth I didn't truly understand until Melbourne won the flag in 21. That history was in my blood. To many people, Dad was a legend and a hero. But to our tribe, Dad was, well, Dad. I was fortunate When I was young, my time spent with Dad was usually while he was working. Although Dad said, always, that he never worked a day in his life. Saturday afternoon footy matches, Sunday morning training and world of sport. That was my usual weekend as a kid. Kicking the footy with Shimmer, Kekka and Croswell in the nets before a game being in the room with the players for Dad's pre-game and half-time speeches, running amok in the Channel 7 studios and leaving ice creams for Lou Richards to sit on as he did his segment. (laughs) And, of course, the sheer joy of a grand final win. Again and again and again and again. 
As a father, dad could be tough. We grew up in the 60s on a new housing estate in Heathmont, then an outer suburb of Melbourne. There were kids everywhere and we were all feral back then. One time I was involved in a fight with an older boy and I was getting soundly beaten. After another whack, I, just, I sat down on the grass and started to cry. I knew I was beat. Unbeknownst to me, looking out from our lounge room window, which overlooked the street below, Dad had witnessed the whole thing. He came storming out onto to the veranda and screamed, Get up and fight! <laughs> he had that fierce, angry look on his face one that many of his players have witnessed over the years while listening to his three-quarter time speeches. That look freaked me out. <laughs> and I threw myself back into the fight. I got knocked down again, of course. It wouldn't matter what the game was or the situation, Dad would never give up. Dad loved a challenge, any challenge. Our family would often spend time during summer at Norman March Smith's house down in Rosebud. When I was about 11, Dad and I were down at the foreshore car park, holding a tennis ball on our way to the beach. Dad asked, do you think I can hit that pole over there? No way, I said. The pole in question, a typical road sign pole about two inches wide, was about 25 metres away. He stopped walking and centred himself. He seemed to focus so deeply you could almost hear it. He let fly and, needless to say, hit the pole. It's part of the rite of passage of a son to test their mettle against their father. Of course, I missed the pole. <laughs> Have you ever tried to beat Ron Barassi at anything? <laughs> Together we played serious tennis and table tennis, snooker and pool. Winning or losing didn't matter, but the competition was always serious. We liked it that way. Our favourite pastime was chess. Dad taught me when I was eight. He found it difficult to play without a challenge. So while I was learning, he would play without his queen. I remember being thrilled when I finally beat him. It had taken about eight years. <laughs> chess was a game that suited him well. It was the combination of strategy and endless possibilities that Dad loved so much. When we played chess, the king would always die. Neither of us ever resigned. If one of us was getting beaten in a tight finish, they would then endeavour to play for a draw. Success with that would always bring howls of laughter. Long ago, Dad had a chance to play the then world champion, Russian Boris Spassky. Spassky offered Dad a draw early in the game. Dad said no and lost. <laughs> he was more interested in having a go and doing his best than any bragging rights over a draw with a grandmaster. Dad lived an extraordinary life, but he had an extremely painful final year. He never complained, though. Towards the end, Dad was still physically strong. A few weeks before he passed away, I was helping him to get out of a chair. He had about 40 kilograms on me, so it wasn't going to be easy. I placed my feet near his and held his hands. 
I started to pull but got nowhere because for no particular reason other than the man he was, he had decided it was a competition. <laughs> and he started pulling me towards himself with a big smile on his face. Right to the very end, Dad was cheeky, loved a laugh and had a magnificent sense of humour. Dad was a man who did not play it small. He intuitively knew that when we let our own light shine, we consciously give other people permission to do the same. Dad had the courage to do this, and he believed that we all could. He always put the clubs ahead of the individual and the game ahead of the clubs. He knew too that the game would be nothing like it is today without all of you, the supporters. He would thank you and only ask that whatever your pursuit, whatever your goal, that you give it your best. The air is full of courage and all you need to do is take a deep breath and move forward. I'd like to stand here today not only as my father's son, but also my namesake, Ronald James Barassi, my grandfather, Dad's father. I'm sure Ron Senior and Dad's mother, Alza, would say to Dad, well done, we're proud of you. We are proud of you too, Dad, and I want to thank you for being true, fearless and courageous enough to be yourself and play out your own life. I love you, Dad. Thank you. Yeah, beautiful words there from Ron Barassi Jr. So if you're just joining us, uh, no midday madness today. The Ron Barassi State Memorial is going on as we speak at the MCG in this first hour of the show. We're going to take you through some of the speeches that have been had and are still going on down there at the MCG. Sam Edmund said, now fitting 31 degrees today, and it's on the 10th of November. Of course, he used to sign... Uh, he's autographed 17 for 10, 17 grand finals for 10 premierships. Julian DeStoop with you. Very special first hour of Dwayne's World today as we bring you the tributes or some of the tributes from the Rombarassi State Memorial at the MCG. He's one off the 40 weeks temper here, says Jules. The great Barassi is letting us know he's around 31 degrees today for the great number 31 from Melbourne. Someone doesn't know why we're doing this, which is tone deaf. Uh, to say the least, given he's an Australian sporting icon, not just a Australian rules football icon or a Victorian icon. Uh, he is known right around the country as uh, one of our more significant contributors uh, to sport. So let's get back uh, to the MCG. So Eddie Maguire is your master of ceremonies, and he sat down with two other legends of the sport in Lee Matthews and Kevin Sheedy. Lee, let me come to you first because uh, Brass was the generation ahead of you, and you actually yep. watched him as a, a little boy on the telly. Well, yes, I never I never played on the same fields as Brass. I think he played his last game in 69. I played my first game later in the year, but I just watched him as a little kid growing up, and he was Mr Football. And that, uh, that uh, picture that we see occasionally when he's a big alpha male, big powerful man in the Carlton outfit, blue jumper, white shorts, and white... Bootlaces, and he used to say to us little kids, "If you can't be a footballer, at least look like one." <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, yeah, what was your first uh, impression of the great RDB? Well, luckily, uh, TV came to Australia in '56. I was about uh, 10 years of age, 
and that was the introduction to really Ron Barassi because um, the people in those days <clears throat> never had a lot of cars and we, we got to see him on the television obviously and um, uh, he was just magnificent. He was sort of like for a kid at 10 years of age, 9 years of age, he, he was like Spartacus or Ben-Hur, the two great movies that come around out in the 1960s of that era. And uh, But four years later, uh, Kevin Bartlett, myself and another player called Kerry Ryan, we were invited down here in school holidays to be training with uh, the great Brian Dixon and uh, those sort of players, Keneally. So the thing that impressed me about the guy was that he was just such a fantastic build of a person and we were two skinny little sticks rolling around KB and myself uh, just dreaming that maybe you never know we could make it. And that Melbourne team that come through in that era, Keneally and Townsend and these sorts of blokes, Kenny Emsel and John Lord, they, they actually inspired a lot of young men that uh, really wanted to make it in life, not, not just only football. Lee, at Hawthorne, the battles against North Melbourne in the 70s against the Supercoach was something else. They were legendary, yes. Uh, when I think, uh, well, they played in five consecutive grand finals and three of them were against uh, Hawthorne and the other two, they knocked, they knocked Hawthorne out in the preliminary finals. So the main rivalry in the, uh, in the mid-70s uh, with Brass and uh, when you look back on that vision, isn't it good that you didn't wear club uniforms back then? <laughs> it would have been much more boring without that open neck, that... Well, that striped shirt that he, uh, that he won the premiership in in 77, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Kevin, for you, uh, you sort of took over from Brass with the thinking, the lateral thinking, the Dale Carnegie style of approach to football. H- how much of an inspiration was he to you in your thinking when you became a coach? Yeah, well, he was. Um, Tom Hafey was my coach, very straight down the line. Um, you knew when you were going to play against Barassi as a player, particularly in the 70s when we were at 74 grand final, uh, that always had you a little bit on edge as a, an opponent. And, of course, um, I mean, I remember one day I was playing here at the MCG and I've got Barry Richardson, uh, Colin Beard and myself. We're all in the goal square with John Nichols, Cesarlinka and Sid Jackson. Nothing else ahead of us for about 100 metres. I've gone, oh, that was very nerve-wracking. So, but he, he really made you think about what the other t- coach could do to you as a, a player. Um, but on the uh, adventurism of him, and uh, I-, I thought he's been sensational. And, of course, um, probably one of the main reasons I ended up going up to the start the Giants was because of uh, Barras and Robert Walls and, and, and Lee. We all ended up going north, made sure the game got uh, to its fruit- fruitful self. And I think in the end, um, as a coach... Uh, he was uh, inspirational in me having a look outside what my coach used to teach me, which is Hafey. We were the fittest team in it at Richmond, but you had, and he said, look, if you've got to go overseas, go overseas and chase knowledge. And he was brilliant at that. And uh, that's what you learned from a person. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, we forget, we used to stop off at Werribee for a break on the way to Geelong. <laughs> I mean, that's how bad we were, so... If anybody needed a psychologist, I need one after looking back at that. But it was a different era, obviously, and we needed to have inspiration in the country and definitely Ron inspired not only opponents but people in general in life. And I think that's what our great country's about. We have many magnificent people in all sports and our Olympic Games and the footballers and the cricketers obviously uh, have been fantastic. And you mentioned one in uh, your, your answer there. The great Sid Jackson is here with us today. So welcome, Sid. Uh, he loved you, mate. Uh, Sid was Sid. Guy. Great guy. Thanks, Sid. Um, 
You wouldn't believe, uh, before we came on stage, I spoke to Cheryl, and Cheryl said to me that the first time she ever spoke to, about football to Ron, he said, now, Cheryl, I understand you don't know anything about the game. You couldn't draw a football. But she, he said there are four teams in the AFL, v, VFL history that start with F. And she said, right, OK. And he said, Footscray, Fitzroy, Fremantle and something Collingwood. Flaming, flaming Collingwood. Uh, we made him. What are you talking about? And I ask you this, Lee, because you coached against Barass <laughs> in his last game for the Sydney Swans of all people who are coming out of nowhere and they put us out of the finals again at Collingwood. Yeah, it was amazing. And well, like, Brass's last uh, coaching year at Melbourne was 85. That was my last year as a player. So I never kind of uh, uh, coached against him except when he went to Sydney and I was still coaching Collingwood. And yeah, the last game of 95, Collingwood had to win to uh, play finals. And, uh, and, and we lost. Brass, of course, was coaching the Swans in that few years that he, that he went up north there when they were at a, at a low ebb. So uh, it ended up being my last game at uh, Collingwood. And his last coaching game ever uh, at the Swans that particular day. Yeah. He was a great man at pulling people together. Now tell me about the Pisces lunch. Yep. Well the Pisces is, uh, we discovered that in footy there's about one in every 12 people who are Pisces. Is that we right? I don't know how that <laughs> happened. But Ron, Ron was a Pisces and I was a Pisces and there's about 12 or 14 of us that uh, were, were Pisces. It started off maybe six or eight. Mike Sheehan I think started. Richard Collins from the Swans probably. And Brass. Can I give you some more names? Yep. Sam Kekovich, Peter Hudson, Kevin Bartlett, Jared Healy, Matthew Richard, and Michael O'Loughlin. Not about yep. lunch. And a few others here, but there's a, we've only got a table of 14, so there's a limit. Right, okay. We, unfortunately, we've probably got one spot now, so that's a, a, a nasty way of getting another spot. But um, no, so we actually used to meet yeah, once a year, and, and uh, we, we hadn't seen Brass much in the COVID years, and we knew that the sort of dementia was. Uh, I didn't see much in the last couple of years, but that was really great too. Uh, we, I spent a week with uh, Brass uh, game viewing in Adelaide in, uh, in uh, Africa in the mid-90s. Uh, there's a group going over and everyone else dropped off except me and Ron. So we, uh, we went round Botswana. I, I, don't think the, I think the Lions were a bit scared of uh, Ron, actually, because they'd leave you alone. But, so that's where I got to know him a bit more personally than clearly just as a, an observer. Imagine being yeah. the poor lion looking up and seeing Ron Barassi and Lee Matthews coming at you in the tundra. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. uh, Sheeds, can I ask you, mate? Uh, we spoke uh, about Ron last week, and you said you wanted to make one point about Ron Barassi that made him so special. I, I thought it was mentioned that... In his very early 70s, about 73, when he saw that young lady being really killed in Fitzroy Street, I thought that was a... I mean, that, to me, is a legend of a legend um, action uh, because he wasn't 50, he wasn't 40, he was 73, 74 years of age. And uh, just to straight away go out and save that young lady from being beaten up by six ugly sort of men that... Um, I think that... That, to me, is a character of the person really shining through. And uh, obviously he's come through his club at Melbourne and the clubs he, he played and coached for. And I think that's why we all loved him and still do and still always will. And you could really see it shine out in, in his uh, son, uh, Tom. Uh, sorry, Ron. And then, of course, Richard, who I met before, two lovely young men. Um, and I think that uh, what a fantastic family they've been, obviously, to go through the hardship of losing a legendary father like this. But to see his son talk about him so well 
uh, from the heart. I could have listened to him from, uh, I told him outside, mm. I could have listened to Ron Brassie Jr. for another hour on the way he spoke about his father. Beautifully said, Kevin. Lee, to wrap up, um, a final thought on Ron Brassie. Well, enormously successful player, enormously successful coach, like a real statesman of the game. He's been a almost a scandal-free figurehead of the game. Um, he was Mr Football back in the 60s, with apologies to Ted Whitten, who they, he and Ron used to actually argue who was they Mr Football. They would fight over who was Mr and Mrs Football. Oh, no, it was no, a great relationship. But, <laughs> about that. but what we do know, there's still no other Mr Football that surpasses Ron Brassie 70, 60, 70 years later. One little anecdote as we finish on the Mr and Mrs Football. Uh, at a State of Origin game, I think you were coaching, Kevin, I think we are in Adelaide, and uh, run out of a couple of reds the, uh, at night and uh, had gone to bed and uh, woken up in the middle of the night and uh, uh, thought that he'd uh, go to the bathroom. And unfortunately, he opened up the wrong door and found himself out in the corridor. And the door <laughs> shut behind him and uh, he was in the nick. And uh, he quickly sobered up and thought, what do I do? So he banged on the door next door. And uh, unfortunately for him, it was Ted Whitten's door. <laughs> And Ted went to the door and opened it up with a chain and looked out and said, who's Mr. Football? <laughs> and Bruce said, uh, that's a great... open the door, Ted. He said, who's Mr. Football and who's Mrs. Football? <laughs> and that was the great manly love they had for each other and Skilts and Bobby, uh, Billy Goggin and all the team going over there and Mate. Kevin Sheen and the likes. It was a wonderful time and just so much of him. Um, I couldn't think of two better people to speak on behalf of the legacy of the great Ron Barassi than these two, Kevin Sheedy and Lee Matthews. Thanks, guys. Yeah, great stories there from Kevin Sheedy and Lee Matthews. So let's get the Melbourne perspective now with our very own Gary Lyon. Ron Barassi will not only be remembered as one of the most significant figures in the history of sport in this country, but he'll also be remembered for being one of the greatest educators this country has seen. It stands to reason that a man who had such a profound impact on the game of Australian rules football first as a player and captain and then as a coach, would have impacted the lives of so many of us who played or simply followed the game directly or indirectly. I was fortunate to be in both camps. He captured my imagination as a football-obsessed youngster in the country who got no closer to him than via the pictures on our television. And then, as fate would have it, as the coach of my football team, as the selector of my state side and eventually as a colleague in the media. Never was there a great sense of familiarity or even friendship. I never allowed myself that privilege. Always, however, was there ultimate respect or surrealism, hero-worshipping and an unyielding gratefulness that I was in some way blessed to have been the beneficiary of his company and of his knowledge and wisdom. To be able to say I knew Ron Barassi will be enough. It's only fitting then that we all reflect on the lessons from one of the game's great teachers, one of life's great teachers, lessons learned from a life so thoroughly well lived. For those fortunate enough to have, play, uh, to have watched him play, he was the embodiment of everything that we've come to love, respect and admire in any of the greats that have followed in his footsteps. To talk to those that have played with him and to read the tributes that have flowed in recent weeks, he may just be the greatest competitor to have ever played the game. What a moniker to have associated with your name. Regardless of talent, of physical attributes, of genetic blessings, the competitor is the title that you would love to have the most. He taught us 
that when everything else deserts us, as long as you are standing, you can compete. Ron Barassi, the ultimate competitor. He taught us that loyalty and commitment is not exclusive to a particular club or organisation, but to the club or organisation that you are loyal and committed to. That to have the strength of your convictions to go down a particular path, the path that is right for you, may be the most difficult decision that you ever have to make. At 72 years of age, if anyone had earned the right to watch the world go by, it was Ron Barassi. Yet on New Year's Eve 2008, while sitting quietly in St Kilda, Rod witnesses a woman being assaulted by a group of thugs. I ask you all, old and young, what would you do? For Ron Barassi, there is no question. He jumps out of his seat, he comes to the aid of the woman, tackling the men in the process. He's set upon by the men and suffers facial bruising, sore ribs and an arm injury. The lady in question has a swollen face and black eyes and in the report that I read it quoted her as saying, I think if he hadn't jumped in, it would have been much worse for me. How many people throughout his time on this earth are grateful that Ron was the type of man that never hesitated to jump in? Ron Barassi, educator, ultimate competitor, inspirational leader, respect builder, with the strength of his convictions that few possess, and a defender of us all. We'll miss you, Brass. Thank you. So that was Gary Lyon giving the Melbourne perspective. Let's now get the Carlton perspective from Brent Croswell, and following Brent Croswell will be the North Melbourne perspective from Sam Kikovich. You want to know about Barassi? Let me give you an insight, okay? Barassi came to the rooms at half time near mad. He was seething with frustration and anger. He kicked the lock off his hinges, turned and smashed a silver jug full of cordial from a table. It could have broken his arm. The cordial had sprayed over the faces of three prominent Carlton committeemen standing nearby. They didn't move a muscle. He stormed around the room menacingly and no one dared catch his eye. If we were going badly, we knew not to be the first in the huddle at quarter time, nor up the race at half time. Let the mugs run in first, we thought, and cop a brassy blast. I learned fast. Head to the bathroom, lock the toilet door, come out when brassy started to feel like he needed to say something positive. That was my mantra. All picks up hand pass to Barassi. Barassi hooks it in. He shapes up. He shoots for an acute angle. Oh, remarkable. Barassi drove Carlton with a frightening, violent fierceness in those early years. Glorious mark taken by Ronald Dale Barassi. His competitive drive was almost pathological and on the field as a player. Oh, Barassi found him. And as a coach, he was a force of nature. And this with his other martial attributes, his bull neck, his massive chest, his long muscular arms and his powerful thighs, a body that needed no building up in the gym, his courage made him indomitable. He was a player for the ages, a coaching powerhouse for the times. In 1968, with Barassia's coach, Carlton broke a 20-year drought when they beat Essendon in the grand final. But these achievements were a mere prelude to the greatest triumph, the 1970 grand final victory over Collingwood. Nothing on his home. Not a bad player to leave alone, is it? Oh, oh you kidding. Wouldn't Barassi be tearing his hair out? Collingwood well in command of the stage. The fair way out, and he's on an angle, but he puts his oh. on his way. 
half-time in that astonishing game. We were nearly eight goals down. But when we walked in, we expected a brassy tirade. But no, to our amazement, he was quite calm and considered, and he had a strategy. He urged us to play on at all costs, to handball. This was revolutionary. In the second half, we began to get back in the match, and then, incredibly, in the last minutes of the game, we hit the front and we held on. We had won. That's all over. Carlton got up in the dying stages. Fantastic comeback. They were gone to the world at half-time. It seemed a miracle at the time, and Brassie had played a masterful role. He had anticipated the more frenetic handball craze modern game. The origins of his powerful football personality, his almost maniacal drive to compete, will always be a source of wonder to me. It is fitting, then, that Verassi, this great football figure, should be remembered in this vast stadium, the MCG, where he began to make his name. Keep our memories of him here on the field of battle, because domestic surroundings would only diminish him. How could it be otherwise? He'd achieved such a consummation in football. We go back a long way, Barassi and I. This was 1967 when he drove down to my Tasmanian country town seeking a recruit, wearing a blue suit, as I remember. His passing is so very, very sad. Well, here we are back at Arden Street. Uh, how do I feel? I'll be implicitly candid with you. I feel a bit eerie. I still have visions of this intimidating sight. Florid with rage, eyes bulging, blood vessels protruding from his face, nostrils flared, delivering a tirade of invective and unbridled abuse that would leave you in a catatonic state. But he was the master psychologist. He knew exactly how many buttons he could press on an individual and how to best extract the performance from him. He knew when he was in the room and, God, he was larger than life, a behemoth of a person. But there's two words that best depict the spirit and the essence of the Australian character, and they are fair dickum. And there's no one more fair dickum than Ron Barassi. Barassi has never known failure. And in Melbourne, Aussie rules and Barassi are interchangeable names. When he arrived in 72, we were a fledgling club, there's no doubt about that. The level of expectation soared, the disciplines changed, the responses changed, I think the whole language changed. So, I mean, North Melbourne, they do things in a really good way, a big way. If you're a buddy, got courage and you're prepared to commit yourself, we will make you a valuable player. We missed the finals in his initial year, but the foundation was well and truly laid. We played finals for the next seven years. I'm extraordinarily proud of you. 75 was an amazing year. But I want you to make me the proudest coach in league history, Vince. And there was no way in the world that we were going to lose that grand final. And I want you to be proud to be proud of every last year. Our first ever premiership. Hey, Mickey, you haven't up twice tonight. really the coming of the age of the club. It took us 50 years to venture from base camp to the summit. Well, Rusty, you've got to give him full marks. I'm horrible. And all of a sudden, North Melbourne 
became a very, very respected entity. I'd left midway through 77, but North went on to win another premiership. So I've confronted with a 27-point deficit at three-quarter time. Now, in the normal circumstances, 27-point deficit at three-quarter time in the grand finals, like 127 in the home and away game. 177 looks like being Magpies year. But such the nature of the man, as he always said, the only risk not to be taken is, to, is not to take a risk at all. He threw the magnets around, played an attacking mode, which was always his nature, and he was vindicated and proven to be correct, you know, when it was drawn. And we'll be back here next week. Thank golly, another draw. What a great performance it was by North Melbourne. You know, gave them plenty of confidence to know they can come up the following week. And, of course, the rest is history. performance by North Melbourne. What a mighty performance by the Supercase, Rob Barassi. If I could speak to him one more time, I'd say thank you and I'd probably apologise. Perhaps causing a few grey hairs, but by and large, I'd have to say thank you because without your guidance or your tutelage, who knows where I might be today? I think that's what I would say, in a very simple way. Brett Croswell and Sam Kekovich, former Sydney Swans chairman Richard Collis, reflects on Barassi's move to the Swans at their absolute lowest ebb in 1993 and his long-lasting impact on the Sydney market. A decade after the relocation of South Melbourne, Australian football in Sydney was to be candid a wasteland. By 1993, the club, and hence the game, was in a death spiral. A circuit breaker was desperately needed, but from where and by whom? What was needed was a solution that involved genuine long-term substance. In the eight years out of the game, in Ron's opinion, the coach-player relationship dynamic had changed dramatically. And on field, the strategy of coaching a team had changed even more. However, Ron Barassi was still the biggest name in the history of Australian football and, in fact, the best-known identity across all the football codes in Australia, not just in Melbourne. And, as has been mentioned, he envisaged coaching an AFL team in Sydney before it was even contemplated. By his own admission, Ron, however, questioned whether he had the energy and the knowledge of the contemporary game to, at 57, coach again. So I think... Given what was at stake, he would have asked himself the question, if not me, then who? So what unfolded? In 1993, Ron won one game out of 16, a 6% winning ratio. In 94, it climbed to 18%, and in 95, it was 36%, and the club had a percentage of 100. In 1996, the team that Rodney... Uh, he'd largely inherited from Ron, and I'm not in any way diminishing Rodney's achievements, had a 74% win ratio, finished on top of the ladder and played in its first grand final in 51 years. Now, that's what I call a trend, and the following is what I would call a legacy. In the 50 years prior to Ron joining the club, we played in a miserable six finals games. We lost them all. Five of them we were belted in. In the 25 years post-Ron's involvement, The club has played in 50 finals and had 25 victories, including seven grand finals resulting in two premierships. 
Now, no one at the club thinks that we are masters of the universe and that's the most extraordinary thing that's happened. But there is now clarity and a sense of purpose within the club that wasn't there for half a century. And it has progressively found that quality substance. The three longest serving coaches in our history are the three that succeeded Ron. And nine of the ten Swans games record holders have or are still playing in the post-Barassi era. Tellingly, the game in Sydney is taken more seriously. But to those who have an influence over the national competition, trust me, there is still much to do to fulfil Ron's vision. It is one of the greatest privileges of my life to get to know Ron and to work so closely with him. And I can say unashamedly that I respected him greatly, but more importantly, I loved him. Farewell, great man. Beautiful words there from former Sydney chairman Richard Coles. Yeah, alongside the late Alan Aylett. Uh, no bigger supporter of the national competition than Ron Barassi. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us for the first time on this stunning Melbourne day, 31 degrees out Fittingly, it's Julian DeStoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. The first hour of the show today, a little bit different. We brought you some of the tributes to Ron Barassi from his state memorial service at the MCG. So we heard from the likes of Lee Matthews, Kevin Sheedy, Brent Croswell, Sam Kekovich, his son, Ron Barassi III, uh, Richard Collis, our own Gary Lyon, uh, amongst uh, many of the tributes uh, and uh, in recent times, Johnny Bertrand's been up there, Kate Sobrano singing uh, as we speak. So uh, it's time for Midday Man. It's a, an hour later than normal uh, for Work Locker, Caram Downs and Packenham. Work where for wherever you work. Got some great prizes to give away. Signet Boost Power Bank, $50 e-gift card and a $100 Peter Jackson voucher. So did you watch the service? Your thoughts on it? I'd love to just get your memories of Ron Barassi on this day that his state memorial is at the MCG. You might be old enough to remember him as a player or right in the halcyon days of him coaching at Carlton and, and North Melbourne. Then he returned back to Melbourne. But if you're around early 40s, my age, I remember him coaching Sydney. I remember him on the Sports World footy panel. I remember him doing 3RW football. And thanks to great things now like YouTube, uh, there's some Great documentaries on his days at North Melbourne. All those clips that you heard in that tribute from Sam uh, Kekovich uh, just before uh, 1 o'clock. Some of his famous sprays to his players. So I'd love to get your memories of Ron Brass. Just a couple other topics would like to throw out there as well. Before that, actually, just remind what's coming up on the show in the next uh, couple of hours. We're going to talk cricket with Ryan Harris. World Cup, obviously, but that amazing victory for South Australia yesterday in the Shield. We're at Ryan Harris works with the Redbacks now. Just an amazing game. And just the fourth time in Shield history, a game has been decided by three runs or less. And it was the first time in 20 years that had happened. Jasmine Garner, what a star uh, from North Melbourne AFLW, named the Coaches Association Champion Player of the Year for the third time. No other player has won it more than once in AFLW. And just one man won it three times in the AFL. His name is Gary Ablett Jr. So we'll chat to Jasmine about that as she prepares for the qualifying final against Melbourne at uh, Princess Park on Sunday afternoon. Campbell Brown will join us in this hour to just look back on the spring carnival so far, Melbourne Cup Week, and have a look to a great day's racing tomorrow, uh, the champion stakes out at Flemington. Three group runs, and the final time we will see the legendary Damien Oliver riding in a Melbourne Cup carnival. So he's riding in all the big races. Can he get one more? 
uh, Group 1 in Melbourne Cup Week. And Dean Vickerman will join us uh, from Melbourne United. They've got the throwdown on Sunday. Uh, tough loss to Perth. Uh, some injury problems out of that game. So we'll speak to Dean Vickerman as well. So we're looking for your memories of Ron Barassi. And also, as Gary Lyons said in the speech there, you know, the, the, despite all his achievements and obviously the talent that he had, I mean, you can't be named... Uh, in the AFL team of the century if you don't have talent. But the the thing that he's most remembered for is how competitive he was. And then we heard from Johnny Millman this morning on Breakfast as well. We'll play that audio right now, actually, because he's a big part of uh, this topic. Also had a couple of people saying, can we dig up the audio of Isaac Smith's dad uh, talking to Dwayne Russell uh, earlier this year? We'll play that uh, later in the show as well. But John Millman, uh, who... This is our topic. Those that squeeze the most out of their ability, he certainly did that. And uh, he spoke this morning on breakfast after announcing yesterday he will retire shortly. Oh, it's been ongoing issues this year. I think at the end of each season, you kind of assess whether you're mentally and physically ready to go around again. And, and I did that and I thought I was. And um, this year's been, been challenging, though. I've had multiple episodes with my back, um, the same areas, and... Unfortunately, with tennis, how the ranking system works, and um, you need to get that momentum. You need to be able to play 11 months a year. And whilst my level's okay when I go on the court, I still think it's decent. Um, to be able to, to do the, the grind of the tour, it just became evident that it, that couldn't happen. So that was John Millman on Breakfast this morning. So which sports people have you just admired for the fact they'd left nothing out there? They might not have been the most gifted but they just made themselves a great career because of how hard they worked or how competitive they were. Another topic, just uh, yesterday's story from Kel Toomey saying that the AFL is keen to get club greats there on uh, draft night to present the jumpers to the draftees joining their club. So who would you like to see present jumpers for your club? So the challenge here, you just can't name... Uh, any legend that you'd love to see come back and present a, a jumper with either your first pick or your second pick in the first round of the draft this year. But you need to tell me what jumper is available at your club and therefore which legend or great or one of your favourites that wore that jumper that you would like to see there on draft night uh, handing over uh, their jumper to the uh, the young player that's going to join your club. So the big one in the West, of course, Harley Reid, West Coast, keep pick one, which it looks like they will. Um, he's He said openly with Tim Gossage and uh, Scott Cummings short time ago, he wants to wear the number nine. So if your West Coast number nine is available because Nick Natanui's retired, so would you like to see Nick Natanui there on the night presenting the jumper? Or would you like to see Ben Cousins there? on the night presenting the jumper. So tell me who from your club, what jumper number is available and therefore what great or legend or one of your favourites that wore that jumper that you would like to see handed over on draft night. Give us a call on the Werribee Kia open line, one 736 736 Werribee Kia, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year where the customer comes first. And, of course, the 40 Winks temper text, uh, plenty coming through, 0433 98 11 16. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. Got a really nice one here off the 40 Winks temper uh, during the first hour when we are playing the tributes from Ron Barassi State Memorial at the MCG. Thank you to doing Andrew Gay, 689, that send this one through. There are regular mentions about Ron Barassi wearing his father's number 31, but very few people know how that came about. Melbourne Ruckman of the day, Ken Christie, wore number 31. 
So the D said to Ken, how about we give you three plus one, number four, so Barassi could have 31. Ken Christie agreed and took the number four. So uh, thank you for sending that story through. I wasn't aware of the circumstances about how he got to wear the number 31 uh, of his father's, but uh, thank you for sending that through. Let's get to Johnny in Port Augusta who might have a memory of the great Ronald Dale for us. Okay, John. Yeah, hi, Johnny. Yeah, growing up, I was born in 68, so I can just remember 77 grand final, maybe a bit to 75. Yep. I can remember a bit to 76, a Hawthorne and North Melbourne. Mm-hmm. I can remember a bit to that and 77. Certainly 77 onwards, I can remember. Of BFL and old SRFL and country footy and whatever else. But he's probably the biggest name. He's probably the single biggest name. I mean, Kevin Sheedy's there, thereabout. The player of the 20th century, Lisa Lee Matthews. I mean, how can he not be being arguably yep. what you know, Mike Chen regards as the player of the 20th century, obviously. Um, but he's constantly been the biggest name since I was a kid. And I'm talking not just a young bloke, but a kid. So, yeah, we'll miss him. Um, I can remember one night when he was coaching Sydney, Paul Kelly played and played really well and probably uh, might have got the vote. And um, and the commentator said to Ronald Barley, said, um, what do you think of Paul Kelly tonight? And he goes, oh, he's soft, isn't he? He's been soft. He's tongue in cheek. <laughs> tongue was in cheek. Tongue was well and truly in cheek. But, um, yeah, I heard Mike Sheehan on Fox Footy a couple of weeks ago say he compared him a bit to a, a Patrick Dangerfield and a Paul Kelly. Somewhere yeah, between them, so. yeah that, that, is a, that is a great comparison. Thanks for your call, John. And there, there's an example of what we're looking for in terms of a player that squeezed everything out of their ability. That man you mentioned there, Paul Kelly. Ron Barassi would have loved Paul Kelly as a player. And I, I reckon you're right there, John. He would have seen a little bit of himself uh, in the way that Paul Kelly uh, played his football. Of course, one of Brownlow under Ron Barassi. Uh, in 1995. Let's get to Dean in Danny Nong North. Now, the other topic we're throwing out there, jumper dumpers. So the AFL wants to see greats, club greats at the draft handing over the jumper to the draftee. And so our challenge for you out there is from your club, tell us which numbers are available and which legend or great or one of your favourites that wore that number that you'd like to see there on draft. And I think Dean from Danny Nong North's got one for us. G'day, Dean. G'day, how are you? I'm well, how are you? Good, thank you. Who you got for um, us? I've got one for you. Richmond, number eight. Yeah, you got a few. You got a few uh, choices there. Rochi on the other. Who is sorry? Who's Jack Rewalt? Did you say first? Yeah, Jack Rewalt on one sleeve. Disco Roach on the other. Very nice. you got Dick Clay as well, one of your other Team of the Century uh, members that uh, could also hand it over. So, yeah, it's going to be a – whoever gets the number eight at Richmond, it, I don't know, it'll be a draft It might be someone else uh, on the list at the moment that Jack would might like to see where. Uh, but that will certainly be a, a big honour. And uh, obviously the number nine's available too uh, from Trent Cotchins and the number 11 of um, Jason Castagna. So Jolly Bowden might pop up on draft night. Brucey Monteith, 1980 Premiership captain. Member of Focus on Footy, but we won't mention that. Uh, you've won a $100 Peter Jackson voucher. Dean, uh, thanks very much for your call. Dress up, stand out, be seen in Peter Jackson this summer. The look is everything with suits from $399. Bucks. i got a Peter heat coming. Jackson. Thank you.
Get on the line, though. I'd love to get your calls. We've got a heat coming through uh, on the 40 Wings team. I'll just give you a couple before the break just to give you the idea of what we're looking for here when it comes to the jumper numbers at the draft. Uh, great jumper option at the Western Bulldogs. Toby McLean wore 16 and is delisted. Matthew Croft wore number 16 when he played. He should present that number to his son. Nice. The number four is available at Carlton due to Lockie O'Keefe being delisted. Only one man in the number four at Carlton that should be there on draft night. The one and only Stephen Kernahan. Number 23 at Hawthorne. Jacob Kaczynski gone. Do you get Dermot? Or do you ask the question of the great Buddy Franklin to come back? I won't say I'm shocked, but I am genuinely, <laughs> genuinely surprised. So Big Brian from Bali says, Cousin Nick Nat to present the number nine to Harley Reid. Get them both there. Uh, so a heap coming through on this one. I like this from Chris. I thought of this last night when uh, going through this topic. would be great to see Cyril Rioli hand the number 33 to Jack Ginnivan, but unlikely. I think it is unlikely. Of course, Tyler Brockman gone. Uh, the number 33 is available. Small forward Jack Ginnivan, uh, like Cyril Rioli. If he's half the price Cyril Rioli is, Hawthorne have got an absolute steal uh, in the trade period. Welcome back to the show. It's midday madness time, a uh, special time of 1 o'clock today. If you're just joining us, the first hour we played some of the the best tributes to Ron Barassi from his state memorial at the MCG. So we're asking, uh, as part of Midday Madness, for work like Caram Downs and Packenham, unlock stocked and full of value workwear for wherever you work. Visit worklocker.com.au. Your memories of Ron Barassi. We're also asking for, off the back of Ron and also Johnny Millman, uh, who's retired, announced his retirement yesterday. Those sports people that squeeze the absolute most out of any talent they were given. Also talking about the AFL draft coming up. The AFL wants to see some club greats there handing over jumpers. So we want to know with the vacant numbers at your club, which former great or one of your favourites would you like to see there on draft night? Now, later on in the show, we're going to talk to Ryan Harris, talk about uh, SA's amazing victory yesterday in the Shield. If you didn't see it, it's worth watching uh, the end of that match. It was absolutely unbelievable, winning by three runs. And, of course, the World Cup. So if you didn't see the results overnight, big win for New Zealand. Top four pretty much locked away unless there's a freakish result with uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan having massive wins. And Australia locked in to play South Africa in a semi-final. Hayden from Bendigo has jumped on the Werribee Kia Open Line, wants to chat about the World Cup. G'day, Hayden. How you going? I'm very well. How are you? Good, yeah, yeah. Not too bad. Not too bad at all. It's Friday. It's always good. That's always good. Hey, just a quick one. I just want to get your take on the Cameron Green situation within the Australian camp. Like, he's obviously been around for a few years, but he doesn't seem to be getting any better. And obviously, Maxie's starting to hit his straps. I know he's a bit older, but when are they going to ditch Cameron Green, do you reckon? Like, we just seem to be carrying him around the world and not getting anything out of him in any form of cricket. Uh, oh, look, I don't think they'll be ditching him from the test team anytime soon. Look, he's certainly lost his place, hasn't he, in this one day? Uh, World Cup, they sort of preferred uh, Marcus Stoinis uh, over him. I don't know, like he's a young all-rounder. Do we... I don't know. Do we expect a little bit too much of Cam Green at this part of his career? I know some people saying, you know, he needs to be averaging up around 40 and needs to be a little bit more damaged with the ball. But he, you know, had injuries early in his career. I don't know. I think we might expect a little bit too much. And I still think he's going to be a big part uh, of Australian cricket uh, over the next uh, 10 years or so. But, Hayden, you seem a little bit frustrated by his performances. Oh, 
oh, look, I just, you know, I've got mates that just keep telling me he's like the next greatest thing because he's six foot six and his wingspan in the gully. But the guy can't make a run or take a wicket. Like, they don't even seem to bowl him, yet everyone talks about him as being the next great all-rounder. So I'm just a bit confused by it, that's all. I just, yeah, I just wanted your take on it. Obviously, Ryan Harris is coming in to have a chat about the World Cup. So, yeah, I thought, why not throw it out there and see what other people have got to say about it. That's all. I think he gets a golden run. We seem to just carry him around the world and, he, you know, we're paying for him to go around Australian cricket and, and he just doesn't seem to give us much. That was all. I am a bit frustrated. No problem at all, Hayden. Uh, thanks for your call. So 24 test matches, averages 33.59 uh, with the bat at ODI level. His average uh, is uh, 34. So... I think yeah, I've heard. I think Simon O'Donnell was pretty strong on this uh, last summer that he probably needs to get up around that forty to be a, you know, he's he's a number six batter at the end of the day in the side, and you you want your all your batters averaging uh, over forty. So he has got some work to do, but uh, I still think in the long term, uh, patience will be rewarded. If anyone else has got some thoughts on that, uh, give us a call one three hundred seven three six seven three six Signet Boost Power Bank. Valued at forty four ninety five coming your way, Hayden. Appreciate your call. A Signet Boost Power Bank will keep your phone. Tablet earbuds powered 24 hours a day. Thank you. A Rod, uh, plenty coming in off the 40 Wings temper, particularly around this topic of the draft and which uh, club greats you would like to see presenting a Guernsey. Now, the proviso is that jumper number is available. Uh, one here, Leon in Perth. Matthew Pavlich could present his own jumper number 29, which is currently vacant. Fremantle haven't got a pick until the 30s, so it wouldn't be worth it. Maybe keep until next year if we can recruit Logan McDonald. Now, I did say I did say club greats and legends. I did say also your favourites. So I'm going to be glass half full here and say that uh, this temper, 40 minutes tempered texter had Richard Cole as one of his favourites for Collingwood to hand over the number 13 left vacant by Taylor Adams. The numbers 4 and 25, thanks to the departures of Lockie O'Brien and Zach Fisher, are available at Carlton, as we said before. Stephen Kernahan. And Brendan Favola should present them. And Tim Watson, surely, to hand over the number 32 at the Bombers. That is vacant. Uh, for the news, let's get to Sean in Deer Park. Hey, Sean. Uh, just, I, think a, I think a great thing to do with Cam Greenwatson might be to drop him, like they did with Damien Martin back in the day. Damien Martin came back and um, become one of our best bats during that middle order during our great time of cricket. Well, I think if you go back through the, the history of most of our modern greats, they've all been dropped. Michael Clark, Ricky Ponting, Matthew Hayden, they all spent time out of the side. So, look, they won't be afraid to drop him if they think that is the case. But, um, yeah, I think he's going to play a big role in the test team uh, this summer and hopefully his form's good enough and he'll do that uh, going forward as well. But uh, they haven't been afraid, as I said. It hasn't hurt a lot of our greats uh, being dropped early in their careers. Justin Langer. Uh, was another one that was in and out of the side uh, there for a while, and a lot of these guys came back and have gone down to some of our greatest ever. So it's certainly uh, not the worst thing uh, to happen if that was to happen to Cameron Green off the 40 Wings temper. Steve Waugh was dropped for Mark Waugh uh, in 1991 uh, in the Ashes. Mark Waugh just came in, went bang, 138 on debut, if you don't mind. Steve Waugh came back, captained the side, became one of our greats. So it hasn't hurt uh, a lot of our greats being dropped from the Australian Test team. And just a reminder, on Sunday, this is your journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Now, outside of motorsport, a lot of people might not know this name, 
James Small. So former driver and then a Bathurst winning engineer back in 2013 when Mark Winterbottom won Bathurst. He's gone over to the States, packed up his life and took his wife over. He wanted to make it big in NASCAR. He's now crew chief of one of the biggest teams over there, Joe Gibbs Racing. It's a great journey to ride up the top of his sport. Quit driving, wanted to get on the other side of it, and is now a crew chief. The man that calls the shots for Joe Gibbs Racing uh, in the NASCAR series. It's a really good chat uh, with Sam Edmund, all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. There are plenty coming through off the 40 Wings temper about greats you'd like to see at the draft to hand over uh, their jumper numbers. Uh, just a couple before we get to the break and hand over to Campbell Brown to preview the racing tomorrow. Uh, Jules Will Kelly delisted this year, war number 20, Chris Tarrant. Could present the next player to wear the number 20. Uh, like that one. Uh, Justin Westhoff could hand out the number 39 to some lucky footballer at uh, Port Adelaide. And I did see this one last night. The number six is available at Adelaide. Get Tony Modra to the draft. Well, time flies when you're having fun, and the SEN track team has certainly had fun. Melbourne Cup Carnival concludes tomorrow with Champions Day. Catch every race, plus all the banter and tips live from Flemington across SEN and SEN track from midday tomorrow with the trackside team. A big part of that is our very own Campbell Brown. Thanks to Maccas, 30 days, 30 deals. Grab a new deal every day of November, only on the My Maccas app. And Brownie joins us this afternoon. Hello, Brownie. It's been an absolutely magnificent spring carnival uh, going back all the way to the, to the middle of September when the Group 1 to the action started. Caulfield was great. We saw one of the, the all-time Cox plates. It's rolled into Flemington, and I, I don't think you could have asked for a better first three days. And we've obviously got tomorrow the champion stakes and, and the sprint and, and some of the, the better races coming up. It's been incident-free. and There's been you know, no falls from horse or jockey. Um, it's been hard to, to find the winners, um, which has been you know, the main concern. But uh, all in all, I think the showcase of, of racing this spring has been first class. It's been a great carnival, as you say. So many great stories uh, throughout the whole spring, and in particular this week. But could we get the best story tomorrow? Has Damien Oliver got another Group 1 in him in his final ride or final book of rides uh, in a Melbourne Cup carnival? Oh, look, he's, he's had a sensational carnival. Um, three wins, you know, over, over the, the first three days, which has been great. He's got some, some live chances. I, I probably don't think he can win another Group 1. But I think the fairy tale would be if he goes back to, to Perth, which we know he's going to do, um, get back to his home state uh, where he first, you know, learned to ride. Um, and if he could get that last Group 1 back over there, that, that'd be even more special, I reckon, for Ollie. Unbelievable record. 88 wins in Melbourne Cup Week, including 26 uh, Group 1s. Even though the way James McDonald's going, he might close that down, but it it could be a record that stands for a very long time. Absolutely no doubt. Uh, He's one of the the greatest of all time. And, um, you know, just the longevity of it is the thing that I'm just in awe of. You know, being a jockey's hard. Being a jockey for, you know, the best part of of four decades um, is even harder. It's just... You know, managing your weight. He's come back from some horrendous falls. You know, his his resilience to still want to um, sacrifice so much in terms of fasting and what you can eat and in the sauna and you know, getting getting that weight down um, to get on the back of the, the the horses he does at his age is is truly remarkable. So he's been a superstar. I do think that that James McDonough will will 
whatever record he sets will be broken by James McDonald, um, who's you know equally as as good a talent as Ollie. Yeah, got the chocolates in the Oaks yesterday on Sardosi, James McDonald. Just Oaks Day as a whole, Brownie. I remember when it became really big in the early two thousands. It was a massive day. Is it? Does it need a little bit of a reinvention? Do you think? Look, it does. I, I think the days of getting a hundred, you know, ten thousand to Flemington for for one, let alone all four of of the, the days, is is long gone. I, I think it's. It's probably a price thing. You know, it's, it's quite expensive if you want to dress up, you and your partner, um, Uber into Flemington, buy your drinks, buy a member's pass, whatever it may be. Um, and, and I think a lot of people now, with interest rates going up and you know, things like that, are just a little bit more conscious. It's a great day out and maybe people just pick, pick one of the four rather than going to multiple. Um, I'd love to see maybe the Oaks pushed back. I know that Adam Hamilton was talking about it the, the, this morning on the Labroke show. Um, you know, because it's a work day, it being a Thursday, mm. why can't you, you push it back and have the first race at three o'clock um, go into, you know, into the twilight? It's, it's daylight saving here in Melbourne, so that'd be no issues. Maybe you don't need nine races. You can have seven um, and people can go into to their office or do, you know, half a day's work and then get dressed up and, and go to, to Flemington for you know, the, the the back end of the day. Something like that could really work. And I'm sure that, you know, Racing Victoria and, and, and the VRC will, will be looking into something to make it more appealing. It was a great day. I was out there yesterday. Um, it was a little bit down, though, in terms of numbers. Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, just going back to Melbourne Cup Day, Brownie, obviously, you know, Mark Zara made the right decision, absolutely to stay without a fight. It's letting a lot of... Criticism of the ride by Joe Moreira. Some have defended him. Others said he's he slaughtered it, and uh, Solcom should have won uh, the race. How do you? Where do you sit on the ride from Joe? I've, I've watched the replay back, you know, half a dozen times, and um, you know, it's it's a split second decision. Do, do you do you you know follow the, the back of the winner or go outside it, or do you cut back to the fence? Let's make no mistake. This is a very 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 good horse, Solcom, and if you want to blame or point the finger at anyone it's not the jockey it's not the trainer it's the bloody horse it can't jump out of the barrier mm. it missed the start again by three three and a half lengths and you're just asking for for too much good luck to go right because the horse can't jump it costs itself the Caulfield Cup we always uh, the, the Turnbull Stakes it missed the kick and ran on well everyone goes oh that's magnificent what a great horse you know but that's its biggest problem it's it's itself so I I didn't think while the ride wasn't a you know a ten out of ten from Joe Marira, um, I don't think it's one that was was you know too bad. I, I know Hawksy you know had a, had a really strong opinion on it. So did Jared, and that is what racing is all about. Um, you're obviously going to be disappointed as an owner yeah, because they're so hard to win and there's so much money at stake, and it's not just it's not just a, a, a one year plan. You know they, you got to go out and you find you got to find the right horse in Europe then you've got to put a syndicate together to buy it. Then you've got to get it here and give it to the right trainers and get it there healthy. On the So it's years go into it. So, of course, there's going to be disappointment. But I'll defend Joe Marira to the hilt because in the end of the day, it's the horse that costs itself the race. I hope this doesn't sound like a stupid question, Brownie, but when a horse regularly fails to get out of the barriers, is it all on the horse or is there something the jockey can do? Is there something the trainer can do or is it just... That is purely 
out of their hands? Um, well, I'm not a horse trainer, and I've never been on the back. I've been on the back of a horse, but not for long because it bucked me off. But, um, <laughs> there's, I mean, there's Smart no doubt horse. that there's things. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> there's things that that they would do to get the, the, the manners, you know, barrier manners, okay, and sure they're putting hours and hours and hours into how it jumps up. At the end of the day, these are 700 kilo animals, and they're stubborn, and when they decide. They don't want to jump, or for whatever reason, they get distracted or miss the kick. The Chautauqua was was a classic mm. example, you know. Like it, it refused to run a few times, um, just because it was. It just felt like it. Um, and there's not much you can really do. So, I'm sure Chris Waller will be doing absolutely everything he possibly can to think about what he can do that's a bit different um, to be able to get this horse to, to jump. Even doesn't even need to ping the lids and get out first if it jumps even with the field you're giving the jockey far more options to sit where he wants rather than always have to jag back to last and then hope that the you know that the seas part and you can get through must have been an Essendon fan that horse that bucked you off uh, we're talking to Campbell Brown uh, <laughs> SEN track uh, commentator uh, let's look ahead to Champions Day where does this day now sit in terms of the really really good race days that we have here I- in Australia it's magnificent. Uh, I'm really excited. Three unbelievable Group 1s tomorrow. Uh, I know that Derby Day used to be sort of the jewel in the crown for, for the Flemington Carnival. And because it was first, everyone would be excited for day one. You keep an eye on Tuesday because it was the Melbourne Cup. And obviously, you know, that's the big one. And then things would, would peter away a bit for sort of Oaks and there used to be Emirates Stakes Day. Um and unless you're an absolute die-hard racing fan, the general public and just the vibe and the atmosphere around it would would dissipate, you know dissipate a little bit. So the fact now that there's been a little tweak and a few races are now being run tomorrow, um, I think makes it unbelievable because we're still all the focus is 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 going to remain for the four days. You know they're going to go out with a big bang tomorrow with some of the best horses in the world. Three great Group 1s. Let's start with the champion sprint. So uh, Ollie will ride Lofty Strike, but the favourite here is short and looked very almost, well, it's been unbeatable here in Melbourne. Absolutely. I think um, $1.95, he might be able to get $2. Um, he's a really good price for Imperatrice. Uh, horses not put a, a foot wrong this preparation, undefeated. Absolutely gave him a, a galloping lesson at the Valley last start. Um, it's just about my best of the carnival um, tomorrow. I think, you know, there's a lot of people uh, talking about, you know, running down the straight at Flemington for the first time. Um, will that throw up some, some little dramas? I don't think it will. Um, champion horses overcome things like that. And uh, this horse has proven that uh, he's absolutely a champion. So I will be taking Imperatrice as a real anchor in a lot of uh, how, I, how I look at tomorrow. Last year in this race, we saw a pretty big upset, rock and horse upset, Nature Strip. If there is to be an upset in this race tomorrow, who do you, who do you think it would come from? Oh, look, I, I've got a, a fair bit of time for uh, the Clint McDonald runner, Star Patrol. Now, it's come back this preparation. It used to do a few things wrong as well. Clint McDonald's got the horse absolutely low flying. Um, and, and the one thing you do know about Star Patrol is uh, it loves Flemington. So... You know, raced there on six occasions for four wins in a second and has not put a foot wrong. So um, 
that could be one that if you know if the favourite goes under, um, I know everyone will be looking towards in secret, um, you know, to, to maybe beat it as fuller question marks. But I, I would be, I'd be looking at Star Patrol for a little bit of value. The Champions Mile, uh, the inevitable. Damien Oliver will uh, try and steer that one home. Pride of Jenny's in the race. It had that great uh, win at the start of the uh, the Melbourne Cup Carnival. But I guess Mr. Mr. Brightside and Alligator Blood are the the two big names in this race. This is a cracking race. Um, you know, I, I love Pride of, of Jenny as a horse, and uh, you know, I, I rate this horse as probably the second toughest horse in the country behind Alligator Blood, but. The market is absolutely spot on here. Um, Mr. Brightside, best miler in the country, nearly won the, the, the Cox Plate, beaten a lip um, by a champion from Hong Kong. Uh, back to the mile, no problems. You know, I thought they opened opened this horse up at three dollars. That that was that was pretty pretty palatable price into two fifty now. Um, I'm going to be backing Imperatries into Mr. Brightside trying to build, you know, build my, my price because I think both of those horses will win. Magnificent. Champion stakes. So Zaki going for three in a row. I know your tip for the Caulfield Cup was West Wind Blows and it was nearly a magnificent tip. Ollie's on Jewess. Uh, who do you like here? Can Zaki make it three in a row? I don't think so. Um, I'm going to tip Jewess each way here. And maybe if you, you really want to run, you know, a multi through the, the three, uh, Imperatrice to win and obviously Mr. Brightside to win and then do us a place at around 225 you're getting $11. Um, it was probably the unlucky horse in the Cox Plate when you go back and, and watch the run. It was absolutely bolting in behind him at the, the three, 300 and then the 250 and couldn't get out, couldn't get out. It was enormous. So I much prefer to have something each way on it do us um, than just trying to look at yeah two dollars twenty five then back west wind blows at that price. Beautiful, everyone's jotting down those tips as we speak. Uh, what about in Sydney tomorrow? We've got the five diamonds, the golden gift at Rose Hill. Uh, do you like anything in those? Having two plays in Sydney, best of the day, uh, Rose Hill race seven number one, Shangri La Express. This is a Waterhouse spot runner. That could not have been more impressive on debut. Absolutely bolted in. Draw to wide gate. But Regan Bayless knows the horse. Should jump, get across, find the rail, and be very hard to beat. Can you, can you hear? I think I've just swallowed a fly. <laughs> <laughs> As KB would say, by jingos. Seconds, could you tell? Uh, yeah, we could tell. We just thought it might have been the... We're going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say it was the phone line, but... Uh... <laughs> Not a nice feeling, so swallowing a fly. That's Shangri-La Express there, race seven. Um, and then in the, in the five diamonds, Detonator Jack at $12. Oh, I think he's, he's a really good horse about uh, price, about a horse in, in a bit of form. Um, gets back and runs on. It certainly loves to sting out of the ground. We've got a, a soft deck up in Sydney for tomorrow with a bit of rain around. And um, if the speed's on up front, you, you watch Detonator Jack uh, you know, be flying late. So... There's a bit of value there in the five diamonds. Oh, I'm a bit worried about your health now, but what about Tags? Is he going to need a vet check tomorrow, or is, is, is he okay? What, a, what about the great Tags? Uh, we, we spoke about how this spring carnival, you know, we, he's, he's, he's bigger than Ben Hur, Tags. We know that. But we really put his profile 
the front and centre for everyone here in Melbourne. Herald Sun, you know, pictures of him. Come on, my son. You know, quotes for a massive carnival. And he goes down one day in. You know, it's, it's disappointing. He's missed Cup Day. He's missed Oaks Day. I'd be surprised if we saw him there tomorrow. Um, you know, I just... Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to question you know, his frailty, certainly <laughs> his mental strength. But I'll let the listeners decide. It's, this is grand final week for a jockey, mm. for someone that covers racing, and he he hasn't been able to get the job done. And you know, Josh Jenkins, Cam Luke, myself, Miles, we we just do what we always do. We just run up, and pick up the workload, and don't complain. Well, speaking of your mate, Josh Jenkins, a lovely photo of you four posted. From the races yesterday, <laughs> mate, does he think it's a Swan Hill Cup or something? Put a suit on, put a suit on, put a tie on. Well, it was probably me that lulled him into a false sense of security because obviously, I thirty-three de- degree day Cup day, I-, I decided to take, you know, the VRC on their words that shorts, you know, maybe just a, a shirt without a tie, I could sort of get away with, and I, I legitimately assumed that a lot of males in Melbourne would would follow suit because of the weather. To my surprise, I, I get to the bird cage and I was floating around Flemington and there was like half a dozen people in shorts. That's it. And, and mine were real bit, bit flashy. Um, so I underestimated, <laughs> I underestimated the, the crowd. And, um, and so I then decided I'd change tact and I'd put the suit back on for, for Oaks Day and you know, be a bit more traditional and formal. And poor old JJ's rolled in in a polo shirt. Uh, and he looked at me. He looked at me and said, "Mate, what's going on? You're wearing you're wearing proper attire today. Here I am. I've decided to 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 go comfort over style, and I let him down. So yeah, he needed to collaborate. I think a little bit better. Oh, well, let's hope he's learned his lesson ahead of tomorrow, Brownie. Enjoy the rest of your exercise. Shut your mouth so there's no more flies in there, and uh, enjoy Champions Day tomorrow." Good on you, Jules. Enjoy the weekend, mate. Campbell Brown there. Thanks to Maccas. 30 days, 30 deals is back at Maccas. Remember, what's gambling really costing you? For free and confidential support, visit, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Welcome back to the show on this stunning Melbourne day. 31 degrees, an absolute peach out there. A couple of amazing things have happened in cricket this week. Glenn Maxwell's innings, of course, against Afghanistan. An amazing game in the Shield yesterday. South Australia defeating Queensland by just three runs. An amazing finals day of cricket. Uh, South Australian assistant coach, former Australian test fast bowler and SEN commentator Ryan Harris was there. He's just got back from Queensland. He's been good enough to, to join us. Hello, Ryan. G'day, Julian. Nice to, nice to chat to you, mate. Great to have you on. Uh, you've been involved in many great and unbelievable games of cricket over the years. Where does that one rate? What happened on that final day? Oh, it's yeah, definitely, definitely up there. One of the better ones I've been a part of. Definitely probably the best one. Um, or one of the one of the yeah, good ones that I've, I've been a part of as a coach. So um, it was just a, a, a great game of cricket. As obviously the, the first day and a bit was was sort of hampered by rain, and it's it, it sort of there for a bit. You know, we we weren't sure what was going to happen and if there was going to be a result. But um, you know, it was it was just a great day of cricket yesterday. And uh, Wasman Karaja did what he does. You know, he did he played beautifully, um, as did um, and or controlled the innings and controlled the run chase. Uh, really, really well, and then as did Joe Burns. But once Joe, once Burns got out, um, it sort of went downhill there for, for Queensland. But 
Um, yeah, just a huge. It's a big day for our for our group, South Australian group. We we, we um, they worked really hard yesterday, and um, and they got the result. It was nice to see. Yeah, only the fourth time in Shield history a match has been decided by three runs or less. The first time in twenty years that has happened. Did you think you were you were gone? The two for one seventy nine. They, they were cruising with, as you say, Usman Kawaja made one hundred and fourteen. Uh, Joe Burns made ninety one, and then they lost their last eight wickets for ninety. At that stage of the innings, when those two were going, did you think? I don't think we can peg him back from here. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> There's a lot of emotion, um, emotions going up and down in the in the in the coach's box. Um, I, I always, yeah. I, there's always that hope. You always think you get one, you could get a couple. And with the wicket the way it was, it was pretty good. But it, it was probably hard to start on. Um, and, and I knew that if we got one, um, you know, ideally it was Usman. But um, you know, we, we we get one, we could probably you know get a couple more, and then that could just build a bit a bit of pressure on Queensland. So. But I mean, it, the way they were going, the way they were playing, it, they had it in, in under control, and that was that. It, I mean, it didn't look like that, and didn't feel like we we're going to get a wicket there for a while. But um, it, it's that again, once again, it's just credit to our to our bowlers that just kept running in and and stuck to their plans, and 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 you know, and and as I said, just built that enough, build enough pressure to to make Joe probably the, the ball he nicked was was probably one of the worst balls. It was a hard volley, <laughs> and, and he didn't hit it. He, he nicked it behind, so. You know, as I said, it was. Uh, you know, I talk a lot about these guys. It's, you know, first class cricket's hard. You're going to have to grind, and it was a bit of a grind yesterday. And they just kept going and going. And as I said, they they got the reward eventually. And um, you know, as I said, it's great for our group to come out on top in such a, a, a big, huge game like that in a close game. As you'd expect in a close game like that, it looked like there was a bit of tension out there. Usman Khawaja a couple of times looked pr- not not his own wicket, but pretty disappointed with a couple of the decisions made and. Uh, Jordan Buckingham got him out to win the game for South Australia. He gave the shush sign. Do you know who that was uh, aimed yeah. at? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not. By then, we were sort of celebrating in the in the coach's box. So I'm not sure if he copped a little bit. There was a few people there at the end watching him. If someone had yelled out and said something, I'm not sure. But um, you know, when you, you, you obviously he was charged up full of emotion. Um, you know, I guess you, you probably do things. But again, I, I don't know why he did that and, and who he did it to. But um, I can see now. He, he, um, you know, he probably hadn't, he probably didn't have his best day with the ball. He wasn't happy with the way he bowled. Then he, he sort of came in and did that at the end and, and got those big three wickets. So uh, he's definitely full of emotion, no doubt about that. Remember when we had you on a couple of weeks ago, Ryan? You were full of praise for Nathan McAndrew. He took nine wickets for the match. I noticed um, Wade Second was full of praise for the way he bowled over the entire match. Um, he seems to be coming along beautifully. He's gone beautifully, as you say. There, he's. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that knows his game now. He's he's, he's pretty. Uh, I'm top of my head. I'm not 100 percent sure how many games he's played, but the way he talks, the way he, you know, I talk to him, and the way he talks in, in meetings and in games, he's he's got a very experienced head on his shoulder, and um, and he knows his game and knows his job. And um, you know, he was he was disappointed with last week's game against WA. He picked up two or three wickets from the match, and he knew he didn't do his job well enough, which he still bowled really well. But you know, to come out. And do what he did again. You know, he, he's. I guess with, with our bowling attack at the moment, we've, we've, we're trying to. We're finding it really hard to fit in. We've got five or six, if not seven, bowlers that can potentially play, and we're trying to find the right mix. And and you know, he, he's just one that's just. He, he does the job beautifully. And and as I said, he he, he doesn't complicate things. He just runs in and, and hits his areas and, and moves the ball a little bit. And and you know, it's, it's good enough. And we've seen that the last couple of weeks. I think he's taken 23 wickets in three games. And um, it's just been amazing. So it's, it's great to have that experience head out there as well when, when the group, especially in those situations yesterday when the, you know, the pressure's on and 
Um, you know, there's, there's, well, there's, we don't send plans out for the box, but there's all these different plans we're talking about that maybe we should get them out there. But he was really calm and collected yesterday with Jake Lemon, the captain, which yeah, got us over the line. So, in a former Australian fast bowler, SEN commentator, and South Australian assistant coach Ryan Harris, it's been tough for the Redbacks in recent seasons. Do you feel like the wheel has finally turned? Oh, it's turning. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> turning. I mean, it, we, we, we're, we're, you know, the part of the reason I took this job is, you know, we've got such a great bowling group, but it, it's a team that I look from afar that have, have been building um, over the last couple of years, as you say, but just probably haven't taken that, that extra step. So I felt as though I could have an influence down here and, and, and you know, continue with, with Jason Gillespie to, to, to what he's been building over the last you know, three to five years. So it's definitely turning. Um, and again, I, I, you know, I said just before that games like yesterday, um, you know, the sh- the fight, as I said, the fight that the, the players showed, the bowlers and, and even, you know, the fielders were, were catching with outstanding in that innings. You know, the fight that they show and, and to come on come out on top in those games, they're the ones that I think help you grow with your culture and your belief in your, in your in yourself, but also in your teammates. And, um, you know, we... I've only been here, what, six months, but, you know, the, the South Australian teams I've watched from afar over the last few years wouldn't necessarily they'd probably give up there. And, and so it's working. Uh, Dizzy's, Dizzy's working, you know, beautifully with these guys to get that self-belief. And, um, you know, as I said, I'm just coming to try and help him, you know, conf- you know reaffirm all that sort of stuff. And as I said, that, that, that yesterday was just such a, a huge, huge thing, but not just our playing group in Brisbane, but our guys sitting back here watching it from afar and, and you know, seeing what it does take to what fight means and, and how hard first-class cricket can be as well. On the batting side, uh, Henry Hunt made a century in the first innings. He's been mentioned in the conversation as a potential um, replacement for David Warner. You know, Cam Bancroft's in that conversation, Matty Renshaw, Marcus Harris, who made a century uh, for the Vicks a couple of days ago. Do you think he's ready now? And, and, and what do you like about his game? Uh, w- I definitely think he's going to be the one that's going to get close. Whether he's ready right now, I'd like to see another good you know, innings or two. And we don't want to lose him just yet because he does a great job for us at the top of the order. But he's definitely one that's going to be around the mark. I think probably the guys you mentioned there are probably in front of him at the moment. I think Henry's probably had a, a couple of years that he hasn't probably lived up to his his own expectations. And, and you know, I think that was his first 100 in a in year and a half or season and a half. So... Um, you know, I'd like him, yeah, to go to maybe, you know, to bang out a couple more hundreds for us. That'd be nice. And But he's one that I do think can sit at the top of the order for Australia. His technique's very good. He's got a very, very good defence. Uh, probably one of the better ones I've seen going around, to be honest. And, um, you know, so I think, yeah, ultimately, I think he, he's definitely going to be around the mark. But, um, you know, those other guys you mentioned, I guess for me, obviously what we want our South Australian players, as many as we can, playing in that Australian team. But the names you mentioned there are all making runs, which I think is really good for Australian cricket. Absolutely. Speaking of Australian cricket, it was an amazing week uh, with that innings from Glenn Maxwell. Just interested, from a bowling coach point of view, when Glenn is in form like that, and it was such a unusual innings because of the, the cramping that he was suffering, is there is there anything you can do as a bowler or any advice you'd give to a bowler bowling against a player in that sort of form? Or is it when they're like that, there's just not much you can do? Um, there's not a lot you can do. I mean, when, when someone hits a ball like that, it's, 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 it's really hard. But one thing I did notice, that there were a lot of balls in the slot which allowed him to do it. I, you know, with him not being able to move very, very, very little, you know, you probably would have tried to, you know, bowl a little bit wider or move him around the crease, um, you know, change your angles maybe and um, come around the wicket even just to get him moving because of, you know, he was very limited. But, um, 
just seeing that um, the way he did that, but some of the shots, you know, he didn't, he didn't even move. The only thing he was moving with his bat and he middled it. Uh, <laughs> it was just phenomenal uh, to see. And, and the amount, I mean, the pain that we've, we've seen or heard that he was in was and to, to keep fighting on. That that would have been, a, you know, that would have been unbelievable pain he was he was feeling. So just to see him do that and 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 to score two hundred. Oh, I think I went to bed at uh, seven for sixty or seven for yep. eighty, thinking what a a little bit frustrated and angry that, you know, a couple of the dismissals that, that, that from, from you know, the top order, um, thinking I'm waking up in the morning and, and just seeing we've been beaten by Afghanistan and, and then seeing that result was just was just amazing. And then, again, watching that watching those complete highlights was, was phenomenal. Yeah, an absolutely crazy inning. So just on for the next game, so it's basically a dead rubber. We're playing South Africa yeah. in the semifinals next week. He clearly was in a lot of discomfort in that game. He probably wants to play against Bangladesh. I'm sure he does. Would you consider resting him for that game, given that there's not much on the line? It'd have to be, you know, how's, how's he pulled up? I think that, that'll be, that's the question. Um, potentially it would. Uh, you know, he's obviously missed the game before that as well through that uh, little golf buggy incident. So the, the, the danger, I guess, they've got with all the players is they'd probably want to rest a couple, but, you know, you still want to try and win and keep that winning thing feeling going into that game. Um, now, the bowlers might need a bit of a rest. and might be Paddy, you know, sitting out for a game. Who knows? But ultimately, you don't want to, if, you know, for someone like Glenn, who, as I said, he's missed a game already, he might just want to keep that going. So if he's pulled up and he's really stiff and sore, then you're going to have to give him a go, uh, give him a rest. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what we do do because, as I said, we don't want to go into that, into that semi-final, you know, losing a game, you know, so... It's it's good. Yeah, seeing from afar, it's going to be fascinating to see what the selectors do. It's been a high-scoring World Cup, so it's been tough for a lot of the bowlers across the teams. But do you think our bowlers have been a little bit underwhelming, a bit disappointing? Yeah, I, I do. I, I probably do. I've been saying that, as you say, it's 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 a huge, um, hugely high-scoring um, place to play in here. Um, so it, it's not just our bowlers are the top of the the brunt of it. It's it's you know it's all teams, but. I do. I, what I've seen of our bowlers, it's been probably a little bit underwhelming. But again, you know the lengths that they're, they're missing on there, you know they don't probably normally miss, and maybe they're trying a bit harder to get the ball a bit fuller to get it swinging. I'm not sure, but it, 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 I've probably been a little bit disappointed. But again, you know the, the, the trend of the World Cup shows that it's 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 the wickets are, are very flat and it's, they're small grounds and they're fast outfield. So um, you know ultimately we had I think we had a slow start. I think we've gotten better and. Um, you know, both with bat and ball, uh, and we're sitting here now, you know, in a semi-final. Which, you know, after the first two games, I thought was going to be um, a pretty, pretty tough position mm. to get to, and they've done it, and they played some really, really good cricket as well. Got a pretty good history against South Africa in uh, big matches, so hopefully that uh, remains. Just on selection, though, it's been an interesting World Cup because uh, we've had, you know, Travis Head started late, and then Glenn Maxwell knocked himself out. Mitch Marsh had to come mm. home. Steve Smith suffered from vertigo, but it looks like for the semi-finals we might have fifteen players available. So. What what are you doing with the lineup? If Steve's available, you're going an extra bowler. You're going another all rounder. What would you be doing with the the final eleven? Yeah, that's the interesting. As I said, I, you want to win this game, so um, ultimately you probably like you would like to probably pick your, your semi final eleven. But again, I'll, if there's an opportunity, maybe for Hazel, one of the bowlers to rest or Paddy, or maybe even Mitchell Stark. I'm, I think he had, he went under you know in the World Cup with under some you know injury cloud with a, with a groin, so. You know, he, he might need that little bit of a rest, but, it, it, you know, it, as I said, you want to make sure you keep that winning clean. I think I've won six in a row, I think it is. So, you now ultimately, you want to keep that going. Um, or, you know, or do you give, you know, the, the guy sitting on the sideline a, a go? Um, 
as I said, I think I'd like to probably pick the, the, the strongest team still and, and make sure we've got that good feeling going into that semi-final. Ryan, always uh, great to catch up. Uh, well done yesterday from a South Australian point of view. Unbelievable performance. Actually, just before I do let you go, um, big day in Australian cricket yesterday. Meg Lanning announcing her mm. retirement. Um, I'm not sure if you had much to do with Meg, but uh, how do you sort of look on her career? Oh, the great of our game, you know, and for the women's game, especially I managed to go on a tour with her over to New Zealand um, just after sort of COVID times and, and was fascinated, obviously, that they're, they're a pretty good, they are still a pretty good side. And it was great to see how the team functioned under her and Matthew Might at the time. And, you know, the way she leads and, and led that team for so long is, is a huge, you know, it, it's, it's great for Australian cricket and women's cricket. And, and, you know, it's a big decision. I know I saw the interview yesterday and she was quite emotional, but she's done such a great thing for our, for, for our game in Australia. And as I said, the women's game and the success that she's had, she can hold her, her head, um, you know, up very high. So, uh, yeah, congratulations to her. And um, oh, look, I've, you know, she's obviously ready for the next stage of her life. So good luck, good luck to her. Yeah, well said. Uh, Ryan, thanks again for your time and uh, good luck in the next game against uh, WA next week for the Redbacks. Thanks, Julian. Thanks, mate. Great to chat to Ryan Harris. Cricket update. Study business at Cricket Victoria, powered by RMIT. Visit melbournecricketeducation.com.au. Welcome back to the show. It's always a big build-up to the throwdown, and this one should be a beauty on Sunday. The top of the table, Melbourne United playing third place, South East Melbourne Phoenix. Remember, watch the Hungry Jacks NBL live on ESPN. Ahead of the big game, Melbourne United coach Dean Vickerman has joined us. Hello, Dean. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. When you look back on the result against Perth, obviously disappointing not to get the win, but given some of the issues you had during the game, some young players have got a lot more court time than they normally would. Did you take a lot of positives out of the game? Oh, for sure. You know, it's it's extremely difficult to to prep for three players going down during the game. And, um, you know, we look back at it and there was some some coverages that, um, you know, we didn't quite get right, but, you know, um, there's kind of extreme situations that, you know, we didn't plan for and and we can now, you know, we can go through some of those scenarios you know, over the next week and make sure people are ready to play in different positions. But yeah, a lot of encouraging signs. Um, you know, we've been able to win, not at full strength, but uh, yeah, having three guys out was a, was a challenge. So Ian Clark, Luke Travers and Ariel Huck-Porty were the three that went down on Monday night. How have they recovered during the week? What's their status for Sunday? Yeah, Ariel um, was solid in practice today and, and we believe he'll, he'll play. And, um, you know, both um, you know, Ian and, and Luke are in doubt. Okay, so you haven't ruled, haven't ruled them out yet, but it might be, might be tough for them? Yeah, correct. We've we got one more session tomorrow and then make a decision from there. Just obviously there's a bit of controversy at the end of the game with the coach's call. There's been a lot of talk on it this week. Shane Hill's spoken about it. Uh, Matt Logue did a really interesting article on Code Sports about it. Um, what's your take on the coach's call? Does it does it need to change? Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, the purpose of it is, you know, they empower us to say, hey, you know, the referees are sometimes may get it wrong and we've got the opportunity to, to challenge a situation where... You know, at different times, we may actually have a, a better position than the referee because we're stationary most of the time. The referees are sprinting around and we may get a different line on it. So, But the, the goal of, I think, you know, any review system in sport is to get the correct result. And, you know, I felt like coming out of that game, it's like, well, we reviewed the, we reviewed the call, but we just didn't get the right result. And so 
Um, you know, for me, we challenge the integrity of the game a little bit with not walking away with the, the correct results. So, uh, yeah, I've, you know, I've kind of talked to other coaches within the league and just kind of dropped them a little note to say, are they happy with the review system? Should we look at it? And, you know, we're going through a process right now to, to see if we can make it any better. So you'd be in the camp where the entire play can be challenged, not just the referee's on-court decision? You know, as the rule stands right now, it was the absolute correct call in the game. You know, the Perth challenge it. They challenge a, a blocking foul and it's a hands foul. And, um, you know, if, the, if the, all the coaches and everybody's on board to say we need to tweak it, um, you know, we've just got to come out with the right result. And if that empowers the, the bunker to, to make a, a more, um, you know, correct decision, then I'm all for it. It's been a Dean Vickenden, Melbourne United coaches. Speaking of fouls, 61 fouls in that game on Monday night. The league averages up the highest it's been since 2016-2017. Is, is the league more physical this year? Are they crack the referees cracking down a little bit more? Have you have you noticed that foul count's been a bit higher and there's been some some more calls? Yeah, I think over the over the last few years, and even with uh, you know Chase Buford coming in and different coaches coming in from NBA systems, I think. There's been a, a greater uh, tendency to for teams to really drive the basketball and and let that be a um, an advantage creation of the way that we play the game and I think um, you know teams have been rewarded for it and you know and when teams win a couple of championships in a row everyone looks at what are they doing and um, getting to the foul line and getting extra free throws and so everybody just adds a little bit of that to their game and. Um, you know, I know we're attacking the paint right now, and so have we got the refereeing right? Have we got our defense right? You know, I think it's a little bit of a combination of of both about you know how aggressively we're, we're trying to attack the paint. How crucial is it to to limit the influence of Alan Williams on Sunday? Yeah, you know, a guy again that gets to the line a lot, and so. Um, you know, we've, we've just got to make sure our, we're in a set position. We're in a great defensive stance and, um, you know, he doesn't live at the line. Um, he makes some tough floaters and he's, he's, he's making them con- continually. But, you know, if we can just take away some of the cheap ones and we've got good length with our bigs, we're, you know, it's been the, the, probably the best part of our defense is our ability to challenge around the rim. And so if, if, if we can do a good job and make his... Uh, life tough. Him and Creaky have to shoot out over the length of our bigs. Um, you know, that's all we can ask. How different do you expect them to be from from your class early in the year? Obviously, Daniel Johnson's come in on a short term deal. They've had some some injury problems themselves. Do you expect them to throw a few different things at you come Sunday? Yeah, you know, we did. We played against uh, Cook last time. We didn't play against Source, so you know, they add that piece in. Um, yeah, and I'm. And I'm not sure Gary Brown played our first game as well. And so That's he's right. been, he really, you know, has pushed the pace and, and really got them some cheap ones in transition. So, um, yeah, they're going to be a little bit different style to we saw in the, in the first round. Uh, should be a great game, Dean. It always is uh, the throwdown. It's on Sunday, top of the table, United taking on the third place. Uh, Phoenix, again, thanks for your time and uh, good luck come Sunday. All right, thank you. Melbourne United coach Dean Vickerman joining us there. Watch the Hungry Jacks NBL live on ESPN. Plenty of sport going on at the moment. Plenty of sport overnight. Uh, Europa League overnight. Uh, Liverpool went down 3-2 in France to Toulouse. Uh, 
interesting game. Thought they got a last minute equaliser. It was ruled out. But the, the most interesting part came in the post-match. Uh, so the post-match media conference was held in a tent, basically, outside the ground. And it was just a little bit noisy for the defeated Liverpool boss, Jurgen Klopp. It's just we have to be better in these moments, 100%. And that's it. And who had the idea to, to do the press conference here? That would be a really interesting question. Wow. Hello. Uh, uh, Can I? Okay, okay. Awkward. Very awkward. So that was the victorious Toulouse fans in the background almost drowning out Jurgen Klopp. So probably not the most sensible place uh, to have a post-match uh, media conference. I don't think that would go well at the G if uh, you had to do it outside and the Collingwood Army was out there uh, singing. Uh, so bad result this morning for What's Liverpool. <laughs> They'll be back in Premier League action on the weekend. Okay, so a few st- scores out of the U.S., I know a lot of you tape uh, the NBA and the NFL, so we don't want to spoil it for you. Amazing game in the NBA. Just just finished. Giannis Antetokounmpo, 54 points, 12 rebounds. Bucks lost 126 to 124 to the Indiana Pacers, who are now 6-3 on the season. Bucks 5-3. There's one game going in the NFL Thursday night football. End of the third quarter, Bears 16, Carolina Panthers 10. Not a blockbuster. Panthers 1-7. Bears Two seven. Uh, you can catch up on the Ryan Harris podcast at sen.com.au. Our cricket update was for RMIT, study business at Cricket Victoria, powered by RMIT. And Beaumont Tiles, of course, giving away a trip for two to American footy's biggest game worth over $70,000. You've got two days left. So get into Beaumont's. All you need to do is shop there before November 12th. That is Sunday, and you are in with a chance. T's and C's apply. Fantastic uh, individual achievement. Again, Jammin, like third time you've won the AFL Coaches Association Champion Player of the Year. Um, I know that, you know, probably these individual accolades probably don't mean a lot to you right now because we've got bigger fish to fry and it's all about this coming week again, the weekend against the Demons. But everyone loves the way you go about your football. You epitomise... You know, our motto of just every day come in to get better and you just continue to get better. So congratulations on the award. Well, that was the moment North Melbourne AFLW coach Darren Crocker told the girls that for the third time, Jasmine Garner is the winner of the AFL Coaches Association AFLW Champion Player of the Year. And thanks to the tool kit depot, tools, equipment, safety gear and workwear, the North Melbourne superstar has joined us this afternoon. Uh, Jasmine, thanks for your time and congratulations. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. Um, what does this award mean to you, the fact that you've won it three times, but uh, to see the other coaches in the competition vote you the best player in the competition, how does that sort of fare against other awards you've won over the journey? Yeah, it's um, oh, definitely a, an award that I don't take lightly. Um, yeah, something I'm really proud of. Um, and, yeah, I guess oh, it's probably one that I don't think about too much right now, but I think, um, you know, when the season's done and or when, you know, my career's done, um, yeah, I'll look back on it and be... Um, yeah, really proud of and, yeah, I guess just grateful um, for the opportunity. 
that you know I'm able to play at the the highest level and um, yeah win awards like this is yeah pretty cool. So you finished the season beautifully, polled ten votes in the final round against the Bulldogs last week. Sydney's Laura Gardner also polled ten. Uh, in the final round against the Dockers, uh, you ended up defeating her by seven votes. I'm not sure if you're one, and, and given the season's not over, you probably haven't done it yet, but can you compare your form this season to other seasons? Do you think this has been your best year to date? Um, oh, I think it's probably just been you know, maybe my most consistent. Um, yeah, it's, oh, I probably haven't thought about it too much, but I think, yeah, the important thing is just trying to be consistent each week and... Um, yeah, play my role for the team and, you know, it, it's pretty clear what I need to do and, uh, you know, go out there and do each week and, um, you know, us mids bounce off each other and, we yeah, we really support each other out there and, it, yeah, it makes it really easy for me to just go out there and play footy and, um, you yeah, know, try to keep it pretty simple and, um, yeah, just go out there and enjoy it really. The numbers are amazing. 30 disposals, 7 clearance, 543 metres and a goal a game on average this season. Uh, now, I don't know if you know, I'll, I'll give you a little trivia question here, Jasmine. You've won it three times, uh, and uh, in the men's competition, there's one player that won the AFL Coaches Association Most Valuable uh, most valuable Player three times. Do you know who it is? Oh, I've got no idea. Gary Ablett <laughs> Jr. So you'd be pretty happy to be in the company of little Gazza. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, yeah, it's a little bit weird to um, be in his company, but uh, yeah, I'll take it. Absolutely. Now, it's not about individual awards at the moment, as we heard from uh, Darren Crocker in the intro there. It's uh, finals time, and it's uh, it's an old foe in Melbourne that you play on Sunday. Haven't beaten them since your first AFLW meeting in, in 2019. Um, they've, I mean, they've been a stumbling block for most teams in the competition, but they've just been almost impossible for you girls to get over the top of. Yeah, um, yeah, we love coming up against Melbourne. It's always a challenge and, um, you know, the times we've played and we've given ourselves opportunity and, um, yeah, we just got to find, find a way to get it done. Uh, I think the most important thing is, though, is we keep putting ourselves in this position to, you know, to play them in finals and, um, you know, get an opportunity to come up against them again. And, um, you know, we learned a lot last time we played them and hopefully, yeah, on Sunday we can... Uh, fix a few things and we know um, the contest is going to be really important but um, yeah what we also know is that they are beatable they're a great team but they're beatable um, you know Brisbane did it to them on the weekend and um, yeah I think it's going to be really hot in the contest and we'll bring our absolute best and yeah see what happens. When you studied them this week did you look much back on that game you played them it was only a few weeks ago or did you have a little look at what Brisbane did to them last weekend in terms of your opposition analysis this week how did how did Darren Crocker go about it yeah well we'll do a lot of um oppo stuff tonight well this afternoon we'll go into the club but on Wednesday we did go over a few things um from last time we played them um you know we'll change a few things up throw something at them because yeah we know they're a great team and um you know we can't just keep going with the way we went last time. So we'll change a few things up. Um, you know, we know Brizzy are a really good um, effort and pressure side. So, you know, we've really got to ramp it up as well. So, um, yeah, we'll go in tonight. We'll get a bit more information how we want to play. But, um, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll wait and see. But uh, really looking forward to the challenge. It's been a North Melbourne superstar, Jasmine Gardner, after she won the 2023 AFL Coaches Association Player of the Year. She's now won that three times. Uh, looking at the, 
the teams that were selected last night. Mia King's been named to to come back into the side after neck soreness last week. She has been so important to your team this this year. You, is she right to go? Yeah, yeah, she's um, ready to go. She was. Um, yeah, it was 50-50 last week for her and it was probably one, yeah, we didn't want to risk playing her um, towards the end of the season. Um, but yeah, she's uh, ready to go and um, she's a player that's uh, improved out of sight this year and we're, um, yeah, we're happy to have her back. What are you expecting from the Demons on Sunday personally? It was pretty close checking last time with uh, Shelley Heath. Are you expecting that sort of hard tag again? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, yeah, she'll come to me again. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I know it's not going to be a game where I'm going to get plenty of uncontested footy. I'm going to have to work hard um, and, yeah, work with the other mids and, yeah, see where we can get an um, advantage um, around the stoppage. Um, but, yeah, it's something we, we've worked through at training. Um, you know, sometimes we'll have one of the coaches just run with me at training just so I can get a feel for it and, um, yeah, it's always a challenge, but um, these are the games you want to be playing in. and um, Yeah, can't wait. How do you go with the tag? I know some players across the men's competition and the women's competition really struggle with it. They don't like it. Others thrive on it. They like the challenge. How do you go about uh, preparing for a hard tag that you'll probably get on Sunday? Um, well, I guess it's just part of footy. Like, you know, I'm not going to... I guess you don't go into a game. You, you you love to just run around with no one on you and just get all these cheap kicks, but that's just not the reality. Um, but no, it is a good challenge, and um, I guess it's, it's ways you can add strings to your bow, and um, you can add different things to your game. And um, yeah, it's uh, you know it means you just yeah you're not going to get you know a lot of cheap foot. You've got to work really hard, and um, it's just little things you learn. And um, yeah, it's something that I've learned you know, over my career and I know, as I'm getting older. Um, yeah, just, I guess, yeah, I love the challenge and, yeah, I look forward to it on Sunday. Jasmine, you've had such a really good group at North Melbourne basically since you, you came into the competition but just haven't quite been able to get it done in finals. What gives you the confidence that this year could be different? Yeah, I guess it's just um, the experience. I guess the more we play, the more we learn and the more we play against these better teams, um, you know, we give ourselves opportunity and, um, you know, I think a lot of the list has grown and, um, you know, we the back end of the season, we got to play Melbourne, we got to play the Crows. Um, and, that, yeah, now we get to play Melbourne again a few weeks later. So it's just, yeah, putting ourselves in this situation and playing against those top teams more often, I think that's what's going to hold us in good stead. And just finally, before I let you go, so many great players around the competition at the moment, a lot of emerging young talent. There's some at your club, and every club's got a, a really good uh, young squad, basically. When you're sitting down, I don't know, have you watched many other games over the weekend, but is there a couple of players from the opposition, whether it's young guns coming through or some of the more established stars that you really enjoy watching? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, on Sunday, like I, we play Melbourne, and, you know, players like Kate Hall, I love watching play such a crafty player. Um, and you have, you know, players like Charlie Robotham, who's unfortunately going to miss this final series. But, you know, you have these up-and-coming stars and then the ones that are already established. And there's plenty of players that I enjoy watching. And, um, yeah, the competition is just, it's growing. And I think the younger players are just getting better and better. And, um, you know, it's better for us older players. They, they really challenge us. And, um, you know, I know if I, yeah, don't, 
don't do the little things and I don't push myself, um, you know, you get left behind pretty quickly. So it's, um, yeah, it's great to see. Well, Jasmine, plenty of players and uh, fans love watching you as well. Congratulations again. Three-time AFL Coaches Association, AFLW Champion Player of the Year. It's a magnificent achievement, but I know that doesn't mean much to you at the moment uh, with a big qualifying final on Sunday. Thanks for your time and uh, good luck against the Demons out there at Princess Park on Sunday. Thanks, Ed. Jasmine Garner, what a superstar. All joining us there thanks to the Toolkit Depot. Everything you need under one roof, tools, equipment, safety gear and workwear in store and online. Just about done before we hand over to Andy and Gazy. They've got a massive show coming up. And as always on a Friday, they've got the quiz. Goes a bit long sometimes, but the prizes are magnificent. So that'll be out at 5 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, before we go, time to celebrate some lives thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. A family-owned business since 1934, Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. So as you heard earlier in the show, today we paid our respects to the late, great Ronald Dale Barassi, whose state memorial service was held at the MCG this morning. Some magnificent tributes uh, from some of the biggest names in the game, and including uh, his son as well, Ron Barassi III. Uh, some beautiful words about his father. Of course, Ron passed away on the 16th of September, aged 87, Vale Ron. And some very sad news in the world of entertainment uh, in in the last couple of hours with former X Factor contestant and home and away star Johnny Ruffo passing away at just 35 years of age after a long battle with brain cancer. He's been quite public with that uh, battle and uh, very, very sad. So we send our condolences to Johnny's family and his friends, uh, taken far too soon. Uh, Thanks all to Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives again. We've been driven by Werribee Kia. The team down at Werribee Kia will be will look after you just like a family. Visit the dealership at Werribee Kia, and you'll find the incredible EV6 GT model with fantastic finance options available. If you're looking for a trade-in as well, Werribee Kia offer top dollar and have 300 plus late model used cars in stock. Werribee Kia, go and see the team on Old Geelong Road, Hoppers Crossing, and be sure to check out the EV6 GT model. It's available now to check out the range or for any more info. Information at werribeekia.com.au is the place to go. LMCT double one four. Have a fantastic weekend. There is sports galore here and overseas. We'll be talking about it all on Monday. I'll be back for midday bandits uh, from 12 o'clock. Andy and Gazy coming up next. Have a fantastic weekend in sport.